Hello, I'm Guillermina Gonzalez, Executive Director of the Delaware Arts Alliance, your host for today. And with me, I have Brad Erickson, theater playwright and Executive Director of the Theater Bay Area in San Francisco. Brad, thank you for having the time for us. Happy to be here. And since you're becoming kind of a celebrity in the theater world, you, you've been a celebrity in the theater world, but more the last, uh, for the last, say, couple of uh, years, last time we talked, uh, you were in the process of developing a very interesting play. So bring us up to speed in the many things that you've been doing uh, for the last, say, couple of years. Uh, well, yes, we were. That's right. The play was in rehearsal, I think, when we spoke last time. So that um, play was American Dream, El Sueño mm -hmm. del Otro Lado, um, which went on to its world premiere performance here in San Francisco at New Conservatory Theater. Um, to, I have to say, really, really not only great reviews, but just, um, which it had, but a really strong response from the audience. It was a story um, that takes place um, on the border in San Diego. It, it had a lot to do with both border issues, but also um, kind of a border being both a physical reality, be dividing countries, but also a more kind of metaphorical image as well of the individual characters in the play crossing over from one side to another in their own lives and um so that was a, that was a really great um great success and um it looking to looks like it's going to have a another production in Tucson which will be exciting um with a mm. theater company down there and actually a theater company in Mexico in San Miguel de Allende which is where part of the play takes place um yeah. looking at it as well so that would be interesting um and then last year um right about this time I was away for a month at a wonderful artist community called Jurassic, um about 30 miles or so outside of San Francisco in the Santa mm -hmm. Cruz Mountains, and had a month there and was able to write the book and lyrics to a new musical, which the working title right now is 80, the musical. It mm. is about being 80 plus and uh, <laughs> the sort of um, what that does to what that does to the individuals who are approaching that age and what it does to families and uh, I have to say it is less than loosely based upon my own parents and our own um, experience of, mm -hmm. of dealing with aging or not dealing with aging such right. um, as it is. Excellent so you've been yeah. extremely busy uh, creatively speaking so I was talking to you not long ago Mm -hmm. and, and reflecting on theater as a discipline. And I thought, who better than uh, Brad Erickson, who is a playwright, uh, who's been there, done that, not only from the uh, writing piece, uh, but also directing theater. Um, so why don't you, know, you don't bring us up to speed in terms of what's out there, what's happening with the discipline, uh, mm -hmm. where is the discipline going? Uh, please... Tell us. Well, you know, it's it, it, it's interesting. I think there's maybe there's sort of three things that I see happening, and I wonder how they're in some ways they're connected, in some ways um, maybe they're separate. But I mm -hmm. think that the both artists are dealing with and the field as a whole. Mm -hmm. One is um, using technology, and um, so I think that we're seeing more and more. Um, Productions of all kinds incorporating technology into 
into the production. And so, mm-hmm. whereas this it actually was rather controversial, even maybe 10 years ago. So we're seeing people use projections. We're seeing video and film being incorporated into productions, and, and sometimes even with plays that aren't mm-hmm. necessarily, I mean, even maybe with more, with more classic plays, plays that certainly wouldn't have, where the author would not have necessarily called for it. And I think that this has gone I think whatever controversy there was around the appropriateness of using projections and of using video or film mm-hmm. in a live performance, we seem to be well beyond that. I'm seeing it at, you know, we're seeing it at, you know, sort of very mainstream large theaters like mm-hmm. the Goodman Theater in Chicago or at um, American Conservatory Theater here in San Francisco. Certainly we've been seeing it for quite a while in some of the smaller and more experimental theaters. And so that seems to be a pretty big change just in terms of the way that we are, um, the way that the field is using Mm -hmm. projections, video, and film. And I think that some of us thought, and I was one of them, was sort of worrying that there's something that's mesmerizing about a screen, right? I mean, some for some reason, <laughs> look at everyone who is looking at their screens in their hands all day long. And so I think there were a number of us who were sort of afraid, like, well, if we put a moving image mm-hmm. up, you know, on the stage, are people going to pay any attention to the live actor? And I, you know, I think that that that's not proving to be such a worry that the live actor actually does it, it can it can work well that okay. the live actor can hold his or her own um, alongside the the screen with the moving image so not only just sort of still images that often become take the place maybe of a, a set or, or incorporated into the set but actually moving images or the way that live actors will sometimes in, will respond to and um, be in dialogue with, mm-hmm. you know, filmed actors and moving images on a screen, and that that actually seems to work. So that's been, I think, a really interesting uh, change that we're seeing, again, across the board from mm-hmm. small experimental companies to to much larger, more mainstream companies. That's a, a big change. And I, I think, and I, we were both in Chicago together a couple weeks ago, and I, I was interested to go see a play that they were doing, a new play they were doing at the Goodman that was incorporating what we call tweet seats. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd heard about these and had never, never experienced it myself. And this is something that other disciplines have been using for quite some time. So mm-hmm. classical music and um, ballet, opera, where um, they tell, where they don't tell people to turn off their smartphones. In fact, they actually encourage you to keep them on mm-hmm. and uh, be participating in dialogue in some way, receiving information, responding to the work that's happening live in front of you through your smartphone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what they were doing at the Goodman a few weeks ago, and mm-hmm. I was eager to see how that worked. And I have to say, uh, you know, other than tweeting that I was there, I sent <laughs> that not that another much. thing throughout the entire play until <laughs> it was over, and I went, brava. So um, I don't know. I don't know whether – I mean, I cannot judge based upon one experience, but right. I know we're working but with But what about those of, uh, surrounding you? Were they doing the exact same thing, just tweeting at the beginning? I mean, I was expecting to see little blue screens, you know, all around me, uh-huh. and um, I think – Everyone that I noticed was doing the same thing I did, which was to, you know, check in on Facebook or Twitter and say that they were there. And then Mm -hmm. after that, nothing else. So I think, you know, there is a fear in the theater that Mm -hmm. the tweet seats will be distracting to people around them, Mm -hmm. A, and then B, that maybe it's not appropriate for a narrative art form 
like theater, which Mm -hmm. moves pretty fast. And it might, at least that was my experience with the play at the Goodman. I mean, it was one I had to pay attention. And so I don't think that I, I just felt like I couldn't leave paying attention to the play to go think of something to write in 140 characters and then get it out uh and come back because I would have missed stuff, which I think (laughs) maybe in a, in a symphony or in a more slowly moving opera where things are sung, Uh you maybe have a moment to be able to, to engage in that way. Whereas in a fast moving play, you just kind of have to hold on to your seat and, pay attention. You so need to pay anyway, attention. that was at least my experience. We're, we're experimenting with it. I do mm-hmm. applaud the Goodman for trying it because then so many theaters are so frightened of it. And I, you know, like the play did not come to a halt because mm-hmm. people kept their phones on. So, so that is not the case. Now, no, I mean, I think is... let's experiment with it. Let's see what, what happens. And, you know, we'll learn more as we as we keep experimenting. There you go. Well, that's that's a good aspect of new trends. Now, when it comes to narrative, what, in your mm-hmm. experience, is the kind of uh, plays that people tend to go, and what are the characteristics of that audience? Well, you know, it's. It, I think it's an interesting question. I mean, I think we're seeing in in the theater that one of the one of the trends that has been mounting over the last um, several years is. Um, something that is called devised work, which is uh, a play that comes into creation not just from one writer, a playwright, but that is created through an ensemble collectively. Mm, mm-hmm. um, now, it is generally, I mean, these things are sort of, they do get written down, and there becomes generally, and there becomes a, a set script. So it's not it's not that the thing is improvised every night in a different way all the way through, but it is a group of people working together under mm-hmm. with a, with a director and an ensemble of actors and and a, probably a team you know a writer or a team of writers that are sort of recording and amalgamating what is coming out of this. Um, so that's something that that we're seeing more and more of. And oftentimes, mm-hmm. this devised work um, will be created. And now Cornerstone is doing this a lot in Los Angeles, and Michael Rhodes is experimenting with this in in Oregon and others, where you 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 base the work out of the experience and the input of an entire community. Mm-hmm. The Lee Fondakowski did this as well with the Laramie Project when she took her company to Laramie, Wyoming after Matthew Shepard's murder, mm-hmm. um, and then followed it up with she went back again ten years later to go experiment. And, and see what had happened. And so this sort of work that is being created by multiple authors, so to speak, mm-hmm. that I think is a trend that, you know, you would not have seen really, certainly not 50 years ago. And I, you know, right. it, it's not like it's brand new, but I think it's, you're seeing it become more and more. More prevalent across these the days. Country. Yeah. So that's a trend that's happening as well. And I, you know, I think it's interesting. I'm, you know, uh, certainly there's there's narrative and then there's less, you know, there's pieces that are, are not so based upon narrative. And, mm-hmm. and I think people think that younger audiences are more interested in pieces that are have less of a straightforward narrative. But I don't know that that's the case. I think mm. that that younger audiences respond to plays that deal with either topics or people that 
that are like them. And I, and, and I think that that's mm. true mm-hmm. of all, you know, of all different kinds of diversities. I will say, I mean, I think the, the theater field is really, really grappling with the issues of inclusion and looking at the typical theater going audience, which still tends to be middle class, middle aged and Caucasian. Uh, <laughs> most, hold across, on to that thought. You know, yeah, all, all across the country, that tends to be true, right? The, the, and right. I think that we know that that's the demographics in this country are not going in that direction. You know, the country is becoming increasingly diverse. Correct. And the field is really grappling with, you know, how do we include voices mm-hmm. of, you know, of, of diverse writers. And I will say it, it's interesting. Some of the most exciting playwrights in this country are young writers of color. And so I find that to be extremely exciting and encouraging. Mm -hmm. And they're being produced by some of the largest theaters in the country. But still, the audiences tend to be white, affluent, and middle-aged. So I'm I'm not quite sure when the audiences catch up with the playwrights and the work on stage. But I I know that we're trying, you know, that the field is very, very, I think, authentically concerned and engaged about making sure that we're not only speaking to one sliver of America, but that we're actually, you know, we're actually reaching the entire Mm -hmm. spectrum. Exactly. Let me just re-engage with the audience Mm -hmm. uh, real quick uh, to let them know that you are tuned into News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV for the Delaware State of the Arts radio show. We are very fortunate to have today Brad Erickson, theater playwright and also the executive director of the Theater Bay Area in San Francisco, who is donating time from San Francisco. For you, it's very early in the morning kind of thing, Brad, so we appreciate your time and talents and bringing us up, up to speed in terms of theater. So there's a disconnection in between... Uh, Playwriters of uh, different kinds and the audiences that are attending theater. Let's try to figure out a way of. You tell us what is your hypothesis. You know, it's well. There's a number of things. So I just was thinking of like you know I just mentioned some of the most exciting writers, and so three of them come to mind who are you know young. Um, writers of color. Terrell McCraney just saw another new play of his here in the Bay Area called Choir Boy, Rajiv Joseph, um, Katori Hall, all of these, you know, are, are young writers who are becoming produced all around the country by, by major theater, by major nonprofit theaters, and, and um, in Rajiv Joseph's case, even on Broadway. Um, and that's really, really exciting. And yet, as they get produced in these larger Theater, the the audiences still tend to be um, white and affluent and middle class. I mean, I just went to go mm-hmm. see another of Terrell's new plays um, at Berkeley Repertory Theater in, in Berkeley here. And, you know, uh, the audience was looked like their usual audience. And, <laughs> like um, usual and it was a little strange. And I know that they were they were really, you know, uh, hoping that the audience would be much, you know, that they would have really drawn in the African-American community. Mm-hmm. And, and for some reason, it didn't happen. And, and I don't know why that is. It might be because, you know, subscribers, mm-hmm. especially in successful large nonprofit 
theater companies mm -hmm. can be as much as two-thirds of the audience because they're the subscribers. So that can be a barrier. There's just a lot of all those people are already in the seats because they already bought their tickets. So that's maybe Well, that could the be the case. And, and in occasions, um, it seems that the price is preventing younger audiences from attending because they consider that a ticket that might be $30, $40 is not necessarily cheap. Or 50 or 80. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think that I do think that price can be a barrier, and mm -hmm. that, you know, especially for younger audiences, that's mm -hmm. absolutely, absolutely true. Um, and so, you know, I it's interesting too. Then there's even just marketing. I mean, with the the Goodman and its tweet seats, you know, yeah. I, they were ten dollars. So certainly, price was not a barrier. Right. Um, but I, you know, I was expecting that, it, and I think they, I bet they were hoping that it was going to draw a young audience up mm -hmm. there. But you know, as far as I could tell, nobody looked to be under 40 in <laughs> So, you know, I don't know if that's just a, mar a factor of marketing. I'm not sure what it well, is. But, I mean, that's uh, certainly there. Price was not the issue. That was not the case. Now, in your many interactions across the country, you travel a lot for theater purposes. Um, when you talk to younger um, directors or younger play writers and mm -hmm. uh, maybe audiences that you have the chance to interact with what do they tell you which is in a different spin talking to the potential audiences that are not necessarily coming what do you hear mm -hmm. well i think young artists and and just because young people in this country tend to be um they're more diverse than people who are older so mm -hmm. there's a lot of young and diverse um, artists and even you know young white artists are intensely interested in reaching a different demographic and really reaching everybody. Uh, there's a new phrase that instead of sort of diversifying the audience or diversifying the work or diversifying the artists, it's the word is called normalizing, and I really like that. Mm -hmm. this, is what the, this is what the normal world, let's make the world on stage and the world in, and the people in the audience look like the rest of America look mm -hmm. normal, which is not 80, you know, 85% white and 50 years and plus. So, I mean, that is not what, that's not what America looks like. It's not what the world looks like. And, and I think we talking about it in terms of normalizing is just an interesting um, way of looking at it. And there's intense interest among, um, among artists to, to reach, you know, reach their own communities and reach, you know, all of the the communities in in the country and and I think some of them feel maybe that they're not being as supported as they would like by the um sort of established powers in mm -hmm. the you know mm -hmm. the larger uh, in in the theater community i don't i think I think though that speaking to the theater leaders they too are 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 intensely interested in this, and so I don't know whether it's that we're the strategies we're using are not working or I'm not quite sure what the problem is because I actually believe that the field really wants to change and to reach these different audiences and still we keep struggling what is to the, make change. And maybe the question is asking potential audiences that are not necessarily in favor of theater, what is yeah. the thing that attracts them? It is, yeah. uh, it's a marketing research one-on-one -on -one asking to the potential audiences, where, how do I engage you? Well, you know, again, from what I've seen and heard is that, you know, I think 
audiences of all different types come if the work is resonating with mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. If there's something about it that makes me feel like that's something I want to go see. And I'm not saying that people only want to see stories about people who are exactly like themselves, because mm-hmm. I think that's just kind of boring. It's not what we do with the movies. Mm-hmm. But there needs to be, but somehow there needs to be a feeling that this, the whatever it is that the theater is producing Mm -hmm. is going to move me in some way, right? I'm going to be drawn in, engaged. I'm going to want to see this because Mm -hmm. it's a story that'll mean something to me. That seems simple, but it Mm -hmm. really, you know, when you, when you, when I go to theater that is either performed by younger artists Mm -hmm. or, written by a younger artist and the company is led by younger artists, mm-hmm. the audiences are younger. I mean, and, and the work is speaking to them and they pull them in the room when, when the work is, you know, about not about that and not mm-hmm. produced by artists like that, then, mm-hmm. then it tends to not be the case. And, mm. you know, it's perfectly fine. Look, we've got, we've got a theater that, you know, tends to draw in people who are 60 plus. That's Awesome. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what that's kind of who the artistic you know leadership was for mm-hmm. years and years. It was started by a woman when she was in her sixties. Well, you know, and that's her community and they do work that resonates with mm-hmm. that community and that's terrific. I don't think we want to be saying, Oh, we don't want to see, you know, people over 55 in our theaters. I think mm-hmm. we just don't want to see at every single theater only people who are 55 plus. That, that's a good point. And, and right. Brad, we've been learning so much from you as always. And guess what? We're almost running out of time. Um, and uh, so if people want to connect with you in the few minutes left, how can they reach uh, out to you? Um, I'm available via email, which is really simple. It's brad at the name of my company, theaterbayarea.org. And we spell theater the British way, R-E. There you go. And with that, I have to thank you again for so much knowledge. We almost (laughs) don't have enough time to talk to you to kind of catch up with theater trends. So probably for another round, we need to bring you back so we can keep on learning. Thank you, Brad. Thanks, Kiermina. Bye-bye. Bye.